Welcome to the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This episode, we're going to be interviewing an original member of Shanana, and that is Jocko. And Jocko is going to tell us about his experience on the 50th anniversary of Woodstock, what it was like to play at Woodstock right before Jimi Hendrix. And also, Jimi Hendrix was a big part of getting Shanana to be at Woodstock. He was a fan after seeing them in the clubs. And we'll talk to Jocko about the new album by Shanana. It's a commemorative uh, 50th anniversary uh, album on CD and vinyl, blue vinyl. It's uh, got 12 never-before-released live cuts and three original studio cuts, one of which was uh, Jocko's Motorman. So we'll be back and we'll be talking to Jocko Marcelino of Shanana. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Good morning. Hello, is this Jocko? Yes. (laughs) How are you? This is Pat Prince from uh, Goldmine Magazine. Do you prefer to be called Jocko or John? Uh, Jocko's fine. Okay. So let's start with the, the obvious. It's been 50 years since Woodstock. And, of course, Sean and I were on the bill. And it was it was early in your career. I think it was your eighth gig, right? I mean, how did you come about being picked? Eight and 12, you know, at a certain point, we had to change the name. Because originally it was it was called the Kingsmen. Mm. which is the Columbia Kingsmen, which is the offshoot of the Glee Club. Right. But, uh, but of course, we couldn't keep calling it the Kingsmen because that was the Louis Louis boys to the rest of the world. Right. So, so what, how did you come about being picked for the lineup at Woodstock? Well, we were, you know, had done, you know, we do Phil Maurice in a few clubs and we were trying to figure out what to do with this act you know at the time it was 12 guys and you know where do you bring it so we went down my uh, bass singer Alan Cooper marched down to Steve Paul's scene which was in Hell's Kitchen and it was the hangout for rock, rock stars you know after they did their show they would go hang out at the Steve Paul's scene so you know, we played for two weeks with really good response. And, you know, Led Zeppelin was there, Frank Zappa. And, and just, you know, we were walking amongst these stars. And I was a 19-year-old, you know, young rock and roller. It was, it was hard to believe. And at some point, Jimi Hendrix started coming down and really dug what we were doing and kept bringing people down to see us. Hmm. And the last night the club was open, we... Uh, because there were some local wise guys who were leaning on the club. This is New York City. Right. And they, uh, Jimmy got the promoters of Woodstock, Michael Lang, Artie Kornfeld, to come down and see us. And we were like instantly booked. Uh, and I knew my, we had a uh, graduate student acting as our manager. And he said, they want you to do this Woodstock thing. <laughs> And I said, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, say yes. Then we got paid $350, and that check bounced. Are you and serious? Got, <laughs> yeah. 
and we got a dollar to be in the movie. Oh my God. That's the greatest eight cents I ever made, you know? <laughs> that was so crucial, and we were so grateful to Jimi Hendrix for setting that up. Right. And Jimmy, actually, I, I say he saved our career twice at Woodstock because at the end, you know, after sun, Sunday, the rains had come and the place was a total wreck. And the stage was thinking and they were worried about, you know, people getting uh, zapped by the uh, electrical system they had still working. And so, you know, it was teetering on being a disaster. Right. So I went to uh, Hendrix and his management and say, we want you to go on and close the show because that was Jimmy's deal to close the show. Right. And he said, no, there are, you know, a handful of acts who haven't gotten on who've been out here all weekend because we were supposed to go on Saturday sometime. So now it's, you know, heading towards Monday morning and we're thinking, you know, I, I was out here all weekend and I survived this and we're not going to get on, you know. But no, Jimmy Jimmy uh, and his management team stood up for the rest of the act. So we got a 35-minute slot just before Jimi Hendrix. And then you waited Monday. waited around for an hour, right, till Hendrix went on? Oh yeah, and then then we then Jimmy was on right after us. Yeah, but some good footage and and some of the Woodstock film of Jimmy sort of grooving on us while he's getting ready. So we're great grateful and indebted to uh, the great Jimmy Hendrix. Were you? I guess uh, you weren't as intimidated by the larger bands because you had played with some of them already. But it had to be quite a surreal feeling. It, this new band playing <laughs> and I don't know if you beforehand, if you kind of felt like this was going to be an iconic moment. I don't know how you felt at the time. I know you had been there already for what you said, a few days. Um, yeah. How were you feeling before you went on? I mean, how, what was the vibe? And running on adrenaline. Yeah. It, the tempos were too fast, you know, <laughs> It must have been a hell of a feeling, though. I mean, I'm sure the memories, oh, yeah. the memories come yeah. running back at you. Yeah, well, sometimes there's revisionist history between what happened and what I saw in the movie, and you know what I heard about. It's, you know how legendary the, the Woodstock film right. and, and concert is. All the people that said they've been there, but perhaps weren't. <laughs> And I, I see a lot of people that say, you know, I couldn't go because I had to, you know, work at my father's store. You know, different different things of why they couldn't get there. Right. So wouldn't let them, you know. Now, you said the, the mud and rain caused the stage to kind of sink? Well, that was the fear that it was sinking. Oh. You know, all the adrenaline and... So early in the morning, what was it like looking out there? Were a lot of people leaving? I heard a lot I of. Did, yeah, there was the crowd was probably a third of what it was, and uh, and all these blankets. I just remember all the blankets just covered in mud and abandoned, so it looked like a refugee camp, you know. <laughs> and and then there were the diehards who were waiting for Hendrix, and so we come on and they're waking up. And they're waking up the film crew, which is really was really crucial to us, because they 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 filmed a couple of our songs. 
and it was, you know, it was a, a wild scene. I could, I did some great footage of close-ups of fans very quizzically looking at, like, what is this? Who, who are these people on stage? Why are there greases and pompadours, you know, before Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> Hendrix used to have a pompadour himself. Right, <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy was so cool because he he came from the R and B world, right? Mixed it up into the with the hippie psychedelic sounds, and you know, but he he you know he was with the Isley Brothers. He he knew the music that we were doing, right? Or some other not have. You know, what were you doing? During that whole time waiting, were you in the audience? Were you backstage? I, you know what, I was, I was ready to be backstage and hang out with all the rock stars and be cool. But of course, it was an emergency station. You know, they, they, they had to take over a lot of areas and just uh, to help everybody. Yeah, and in the local police and the local fire and all that. You know, they, they really help control this event and you know it Woodstock was so legendary because of the cooperation exactly it'll you know, never happen it, again no and you know nobody's going to give it permits again right <laughs> now um so how did you get there you were from new york did you just did the band I, just I, drive I mean, up a van with their equipment in it we didn't have a lot of equipment a couple of apps and a drum set, and my uh, bass player at the time, Bruno Clark, and, and I drove the van through the back roads behind. There were some emergency roads open, and we were behind a couple of truckloads of slide stones uh, equipment. So we got there. I got there sometime on Saturday, I think, and kept getting bounced. But, you know, at one point, I decided, you know, a bit of a claustrophobe, I was going to be alone. Mm. I needed to go for a while. And of course, that was sort of hard to do in, in the midst of a half a million people. Right. But I remember walking up the hill and looking back, Creedence Clearwater was on and they just rocked me into a groovy space. We just recently went back and did a show at Bethel, the mm. site of it. They're back on the, the sacred grounds of Max's farm. It was very cool. Yeah, that, did you go where? Did you try to go where you walked before? Like you said, you walked up the hill and yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a they built Bethel Woods on the other side of the slope, so it's it's a beautiful green, gradual slope, uh, and you know that goes to the bottom of the hill where the stage was. Mm. Now, this really launched the career of Shanana. And not just the appearance uh, at Woodstock, but the soundtrack as well. And yeah, the movie. Did you know you you were hinted you were paid a dollar? You said for so they told yeah. you you were going to be on the soundtrack, or they were going to try to put you on the soundtrack. Yeah, well, what I heard was uh, they were trying to edit us out. They had at the hop in there and the documentary. So. Uh, they had screenings in L.A. and New York, and we got, like, standing ovation for our songs, so they left us in. Wow. And 
and the our footage along with other some other acts were edited by Martin Scorsese, really? a young filmmaker. Wow. Yep, he edited all the Shannon material. And now, after did you get to meet Martin after that? No, you know one of those things that I didn't hear about the years oh. later. So. After the soundtrack was released, you know, you had Happy Days, American Graffiti, of course, Grease, which you were part of. It kind of launched people back to that golden era of rock and roll. Yeah, it was interesting because people at first thought, you know, just we were very campy, which we were. But then realized we were actually doing a good job on these songs, those who knew it. And then those who would eventually go back and study their Americana. Mm. And they would... Yeah, you guys crossed um, generational divides and cultural divides, which is what America needs today. It's a lot like the 60s, and uh, you closed that gap, which was fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty extraordinary times. That decade running into Woodstock, which gave us the name the Woodstock Generation. Right. It was so volatile, you know, uh, the assassinations of Dr. King and the Kennedys and the Chicago Convention and the war in Vietnam. There was just an intense decade. And the fact that half a million got out there and for three or four days cooperated and and took care of each other was an extraordinary thing. It was, because as you know, Altamont happened and it was a complete... But the Woodstock generation ended. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, it was hopeful times. And then, you know, the, the, then sort of the dark side of the counterculture came on in the, the 70s. And they tried to repeat the Woodstock feeling with other Woodstock shows, but it just never, or festivals rather. It just, yeah. you can't capture it, man. You just, it's, no. it's, it's amazing that. No one got into fights. No one. There were no one died. No one got uh, injured. I mean, it's that is amazing to hear that today. It is. It is. So you can't really, you know, the dilemma for the promoters, and they tried sort of disaster. You know, people were burning in the stages at one of these Woodstock attempts. You know, you can't do Coachella, really. Because right. they have the dilemma of the audience that was there is you know our seniors now, yes, and they got to but they got to sell tickets to contemporary for contemporary acts, right? And it's sort of you know Coachella like, but it, it is a Woodstock. Yeah, you can't try to repeat the experience. And yeah. speaking of experiences, how how did you like the? TV variety show experience. Oh, you know what? We learned so much doing that. It, it was it was crazy. We did a show and a half per tape day, and a, a variety of artists came on. You know, the Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, the Ramones. Right. Then we got the Ramones. Yeah, <laughs> we had a very get with them. We had Family Feud with the Ramones. And it, they put me and Lenny in drag, and they like the they like drag. And so yeah, the and they were cool. They were very into it. You know, they they 
got very serious about knowing their lines, and it was very cool. Well, they were always influenced by the 50s music, the Wall of Sound. They, they were, uh, you can hear it in their music, mixed with punk, you know? Yeah, some people say that we were the early punk band. Right. You know, in some ways we were. Well, how, did you think that uh, the TV show helped, or did it commercialize the band too much? How, how do you feel about that, the whole experience? Uh, no, it, it didn't. It, it was, you know, it was commercial television. Right. But, you know, we're, we're entertainers, you know, right. we're musicians and entertainers and a TV show let, you know, we have several trained actors, like I'm, I'm one of them, and we have some great musicians and we have, you know, nine or ten lead vocals to choose from. Mm. So we did, we did change from sort of menacing and, and quiet. We didn't talk a lot. And then, then once we get to that TV variety show, you couldn't shut us up. <laughs> I only ask because some bands like the Monkees had um, mixed feelings about it. But yeah, they shouldn't. I, well, I, I, I was, I remember. See, I was in the growing up in the eighties. I remember about Shanana Bowser. Um, right. And what, what is he up to now? Uh, he hosts show produces shows and. and Host sort of a cavalcade of stars where we get a handful of acts coming on. You know, he's he's been doing fine. I haven't worked with him in forty years. Wow. Uh, yeah, I did do a reunion show uh, at Columbia with all the original Woodstock guys, and they're all there save uh, one who passed away. And then we invited John because he is a Columbia guy. He wasn't at Woodstock, but we invited him to be part of the show. So it was all cool. He is that sort of, he would fit TV real well or a variety show. But he created, he created a good character. Yes. And then, you know, Big Lenny was Big Lenny. You know, we, we sort of had one of every size. Right. Yeah. And I was a tough guy with a leather jacket, but, you know, which wasn't a stretch for me. <laughs> Well, I just I I thought always thought that Lenny and Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley were uh, influenced, like their characters were influenced by you guys. Oh, uh, they could be. Yeah. Hey, was it true uh, you were performing on August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven, when Elvis died? You guys heard the news and changed your set list. Yeah, we were up in Toronto. You played Hound yeah. Dog, right? For during the encore. Yeah, we did Hound Dog. We probably did all the. Elvis that we knew. Did what was the crowd's reaction? I mean, did you tell them that Elvis had died and you were? And they knew. Oh, so that must they have been knew. a moving tribute. Oh yeah, because and I, I wasn't even I wasn't even that into the King till I started to till I got with Shauna, and then I realized, you know, why he was the King of Rock and Roll. Right. And this year is also the 60th anniversary of Motown. Did you grow up a Motown fan? Yeah, I, I, I like the songs, but I was more into the soul music. Right. I was into James Brown. Oh, right. James, our TV show. James Brown was on your TV show, right. Yeah, it was one of my high points in my drumming career. because We had pre-recorded the track for him, 
and we were all listening to it quietly because he was about to sing it in front of an audience. And then the song ended and he, he looked at us and said, who's the drummer? And I, I meekly raised my hand and said, I am Mr. Brown. And he put his palm up, hand out, and he said, brother. And he wanted to, he wanted to high five. That's awesome. Because, you know, he was... He was very strict with his musicians. They had to play right, and he had some of the best musicians, man, <laughs> surrounding him. Absolutely. So that must be, that right there is a huge ego boost. Yeah, it sure was. Now you sure. just you said you mentioned that you you played at the Grammy Museum, and Pat Boone showed up. How did that go? Well, Pat's the head of our label, and we have a you know that fifty anniversary edition album, which is very cool. I know. So he was there for support, and we've had a two-decade relationship with him, him and his, his gold label. Now let's talk about the record a little bit. It's on Pat's gold label. It's got the 12 never-before-released live cuts and three bonus original studio cuts, one of which uh, is yours, right, Motorman? Motorman, baby. And what's Motorman about? Is that about riding a motorcycle? Yeah, no, this is, this is about fast cars, you know. Yeah. There's always a connection between classic and fast cars and rock and roll. Sure. And, and that's what the, really the song is about. That's awesome. And I love the uh, blue vinyl. That actually is a, a car that is parked in my neighborhood. I took a picture of it. I love this color, whatever it is. Luckily, with those songs on this this uh, album, I had saved everything at some point, and I don't even know where some songs came from, but I had a bank of them, and then you know I, I copied them digitally because you know I was afraid we may never see them again. Sure, combination of old school and new school technology. Well, it's cool that you saved everything because some artists don't. Yeah. They rely on other people to save it, and sometimes those right. other people don't. So, their money too, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've you dealt with that. I I like I heard a story about, um, and it was from your PR agent that when you first played, um, the guy who owned the club said you could play for nothing, but I don't know how you're going to get twelve people on that stage. Yeah. <laughs> It must have been something dealing with those those uh those business people that own the clubs and the promoters. Yeah. Well we learned that, you know. I'm sure they had suspicious yeah. connections. We're, we're pretty good uh group IQ, you know, so we, we we did all right. You did. You did all right and and you're still here to talk about it, which is the best part. So so what's next for Shanana? What you're touring, correct? Yeah, we're touring and winding it up and then uh we go out again in the fall, the winter and uh keep celebrating our fiftieth anniversary, which which we have is already uh for us come by that line and then of course Woodstock weekend's coming up. Right. And I I still don't know what who's doing what where. All right, man. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. And good luck with the new record. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you, Jocko. 
some great experiences there of Shanana, the TV variety show, Woodstock, and a lot more. And listeners, don't forget to pick up Goldmine at Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. The latest edition is the Woodstock edition, and that'll be on sale for the next week in August. And also, go to goldminemag.com, and you can pick up a percentage off on a subscription price, read exclusive content, be a part of contests, and a lot more. So this is Pat Prince, editor, signing off. We'll see you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.